Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Law Chats with John and Amy. I'm John Yulian. And I'm Amy Poliafico. This week's question is, what types of discovery are most commonly used during a divorce? Um, in a divorce, each party is entitled to use various mechanisms to be able to obtain information from the other side. Um, and uh, those consist of interrogatories can be used, requests for documents can be used, requests for admissions can be used, and depositions uh, can be utilized. Um, the first one I wanna talk about is interrogatories. Interrogatories are a set of questions that are sent out to the other side, the other party, um, that they have to respond to. It's supposed to be within a 30-day period, even though usually they're not um, often responded to in that time frame. But the type of questions you might ask if we had someone who, for example, has their own business, uh, uh, they do business, um, having a hair salon, and there's a lot of cash going through the business. Well, a lot of the interrogatories might be questions towards um, you know, how does, uh, how do you register income that comes in? Who else works for the business? Um, you know, who maintains the books and records? Uh, and there are numerous questions just about, um, you know, for example, that uh, hair salon that can be asked in the interrogatories. Obviously, a lot of other areas that get covered in interrogatories. But um, it's a chance to get some basic information from the other side that you didn't know ahead of time. And as I said, they're responding with their answers under the penalties of perjury. So you have them at least committing on paper to certain responses. Um, the next set is a request for documents. Um, like interrogatories, you send out a list, but this time you're sending out a list of documents that you are requesting and they must provide the documents if they have them under their custody or control. Um, Certain things that you may, so maybe your spouse is employed, but you don't know what they get for benefits. You could ask for a copy of their offer letter or their employee benefit package. So you can determine, you know, is there a thrift saving plan? Is there a 403B that gets contributed? How much does the employer contribute? And, you know, do they pay for life insurance? Any of that, those documents would be helpful. But you can also ask for bank statements or copies of passports it's really um, kind of wide ranging and can be incredibly helpful. Thanks, Amy. Um, there's requests for admissions. Once again, um, this is a set of not questions, but this time it's statements sent out to the other side that they either have to admit or they're going to deny them. What's interesting with requests for admissions, and they're not really utilized as frequently as interrogatories or requests for documents, is that if the other side doesn't respond within 30 days, the statements are taking, taken as admitted. So if you were to send out to the other side and say, um, because you have records documenting this, that they sent out various uh, financial um, 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 information, uh, cash, um, other wire transfers outside the country, and you itemized the various financial transactions, well, they need, to, they need to either say, I deny 
these financial transactions occurred, or if they don't take any action and respond within 30 days, those statements that you put out there saying that they wired um, you know, $3,000 on a particular date outside the country, they wired $5,000 on a particular date outside the country, those are gonna be taken as admitted, and those are now facts, and those are facts that can be provided to the judge uh, in the divorce case. So requests for admissions can be very beneficial uh, to get the other side to have to commit or deny um, in responding to those. And John, just to follow up on that a little bit. So if the fact, the statement is now admitted and it's a fact, you don't have to prove it at trial, correct? It just gets admitted and the judge doesn't have to hear evidence on it. It's time you're not spending on trial to determine those things. A hundred percent, Amy. And, you know, a lot of times it can be challenging to document and, and, and prove certain things and, and time consuming um, to get certain witnesses. So when you have things that have been admitted because either they admitted it in a request for admissions or they didn't respond, it makes your life much easier, even in negotiations, because even in negotiations, the other side now can't dispute that you are going to be able to demonstrate and provide to the judge the, this information uh, um, from the request for admission. So it really is a big help in negotiations, or like you said, if it goes to trial, um, having that, that the judge is going to accept as fact. All right. The next um, form of discovery is a deposition. I think people have generally maybe heard of this one. It's more common. It's when someone is required to appear at an attorney's office and answer questions under oath. And there's typically a stenographer who's making a recording of everything that is said that becomes the transcript. And then that is often used at trial. Um, it's not just the two parties that could be deposed. It could be a significant other we've had in cases. It could be an employer. It could be a parent, a caregiver, a guardian ad litem who can provide val valuable information. It could just be someone you're expecting that you're going to need to call at trial. So you're going to want to ask them questions ahead of time so you're prepared for what they're going to say at trial. Generally, they take hours um, they are not like you see on TV, um, and it's like tedious kind of questions and objections, um, but they're incredibly useful because you get to know what any witness is going to say ahead of time, and at trial, if they say something different than they said during the deposition, you get to um, challenge their credibility. Um, so those are those are helpful, but they are probably the most expensive form of a of discovery because it just takes so much time to prepare for and then the day of the deposition takes time and then you have to review the deposition transcript to make sure it's accurate and that just all takes time um, so they are probably the most expensive thanks amy and just to elaborate on that um uh one of the benefits of a deposition is you actually have the person right there so for example we talked about interrogatories well you're sending out questions for them to respond to when we're talking about the other party and the other party gets to review the question, think about how they want to phrase the answer, talk to their attorney. So a lot goes into the ultimate response you get. At a deposition, you're asking a question, 
The person is giving an immediate response. You're getting to see their body language. So maybe there are certain things you ask about. You can say through the body language or their response that they're getting uncomfortable or that you feel like you're clearly hitting on a topic that they really don't want to talk further about, which of course is all the more reason to ask more questions about that topic. But um, uh, that's one key aspect and a benefit to a deposition um, you don't get with the other forms of discovery we talked about. And then the one other thing I just wanted to emphasize that you brought up, Amy, was a deposition can be done to other people other than the other party. When we talked about interrogatories, requests for documents, requests for admissions, those can only be sent to the other party. You can't send those to some random third party, but a deposition, you can require other people to have to um, come in for a deposition. So I think that's a great benefit also. That leads right into our last form, which is a keeper of record subpoena, which you can also send to a third party. You want to explain what that is? Sure. A keeper of record subpoenas is used quite frequently to get uh, uh, documents from um, third parties. So if I have a divorce case going on and I need to get educational records, I need to obtain certain medical records. Um, those are all things. It could be financial records, bank records. Um, those are all um, documents you obtained through a keeper of record subpoena, which is ultimately sent to and served on um, uh, uh, the, the company that you're requesting the documents from. And they are they ultimately will provide the documents with a certification that these are the documents responsive to the request. Um, so once again, it's another very valuable tool as far as gaining information um, that you find beneficial in representing your client. Uh, we know that discovery is not the most entertaining topic. So thank you for sticking with us through this. And um, that seems like a good place to stop. So thanks for joining us this week. We look forward to chatting with you again next time. If you have a question or comment, feel free to email us at info at yulianlaw.com. Remember that Law Chats with John and Amy is intended as a general reference and considered general advertising and listeners should check for changes to any applicable laws and consult with an attorney on any legal issue. The information provided does not constitute legal advice and any thoughts or commentary by the podcasting lawyers is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute solicitation of legal advice. The lawyers in the law firm of Yulian Associates PC make no warranties and disclaim all liabilities for damages resulting from its use. Nothing provided in the podcast should be considered a substitute for advice from counsel. No attorney-client relationship is formed by listening or participating in this podcast, and in the event that the podcast receives emails about the subject matter, no attorney-client relationship is created via the email communication.